What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the MMA Fresh Take Podcast. I am your host, Mario Zapata. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about quite a bit of stuff that has happened recently. We'll touch briefly on the main event that happened in UFC Chile last week between Kamaru Usman versus Damian Maya. We'll also discuss the ESPN Plus deal and ESPN deal that was struck with the UFC over this past uh, couple weeks and what that means for the future of UFC on cable television with the streaming services for fight pass pay-per-views and and how that will look in the next five years starting in 2019 Um, we'll also discuss whether or not the Fox era was a good era for UFC on cable television getting that first big big time deal with a major cable company that uh, propelled them a little bit into the mainstream as what as was their goal of course uh, we'll talk a little bit about that and then obviously we'll discuss the Bellator some of the Bellator results regarding Michael Venom Page last night Gegard Musasi as well as Phil Davis at Bellator 200 in London England was a very good card for Bellator um, unfortunately there were some downsides to it, and we'll discuss that as well, considering the way that they they um, decided to um, provide that content with it being on tape delay here in the States. And then we'll go ahead and get into the prediction of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson versus Darren Till that will be going down tomorrow, Sunday, and, uh, in Liverpool, England. And we'll talk about whether or not this fight will even happen because as of this morning, it looks like Darren Till did not make weight. He missed weight by three and a half pounds, three and a half pounds weighing in at 174.5. Um, so even with the extra one pound, uh, extra pound that they allow for you to, to make for the 170 limit, um, he still was off by three and a half pounds. So we'll discuss that. He does have to make 188, I believe, tomorrow in order for the fight to continue, as well as giving up 30% of his purse to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. But again, we'll discuss that later on. So first off, let's get to, let's go by the timeline. We'll go with um, Kamara Usman versus Damian Maya first. Uh, this fight, we'll just touch on this briefly. There wasn't a whole lot to this fight. The fight card itself had some interesting moments, but overall the card wasn't uh, super, you know, star-driven or anything like that. So there just wasn't really a lot of attention, which is unfortunate for the guys that really had a good performances here on this card. But for Kamaru Usman, I thought it was a, a bit of a difficult task as well as for Damian Maya as well. Damian Maya came in on a two-fight losing streak. And he had previously lost to Colby Covington and Tyrone Woodley, two guys who were phenomenal wrestlers and were really able to uh, hold off Damian Maia from using his world-class jiu-jitsu skills that he obviously has. And that's pretty much what happened here. Kamaru Usman, another guy who's not an elite, talented striker. Woodley is considered a guy with a lot of power, is a good striker, and, you know, the power alone really hesitate makes people hesitate when they go into exchange with him. Colby Covington looks pretty much like a novice when it comes to striking. Damian Maia was able to get the better of him. But Kamaru Usman, not a guy who is super dangerous on the feet, who's going to be a threat to knock you out each and every time you get out there. He does have good power, but 
just doesn't have the well-versed skills in that department just yet, although I would say that his technique is solid, and he does appear to be getting better each and every time he goes out there. But for Maya, that wasn't really going to be a main concern. The But on the other hand, if Maya didn't get it to the ground, it was pretty obvious that the difference in striking ability was going to be in favor of Kamaru Usman, and that's exactly what happened. Kamaru Usman was in danger of getting his back taken in that first round. Um, he held a wizard in for a very, very long time, and very impressive that he didn't suffer any damage to that shoulder. I mean, it was being uh, yanked on very much so by Damian Maya. The ref ended up breaking it up. It was a little bit of a questionable breakup because he had warned Maya a few times and then when Maya started actually throwing punches to, the, I believe, the leg or the stomach, um, that's when the ref decided to break it up. So a little bit questionable there. Um, but other than that, that was about the most um, damage that he ever took, the, the most um, threat that he was under in that fight for Kamaru Usman. He really did not have to worry about being uh, threatened with any submissions or any knockouts at at any point in that fight so it ended up being a little bit of a lackluster fight but to me nonetheless very impressive by Kamaru Usman absolutely denied Damian Maya getting him to the ground I believe dropped Damian Maya at some point during the fight so he does show he does show that ability to have some good power when he does exchange with his strikes but I would say that I was a little bit um I, I was a little bit disappointed in his striking for the, for the fact that Damian Maia was re really come up right up the middle and he was a little bit slow to react and he did land flush on Kamaru Usman's chin a few times. It just wasn't enough. He doesn't have enough power to do to really hurt Usman and he didn't land nearly enough in order to swing any of those rounds. So uh, very obvious that it was going to be a unanimous decision for Kamaru Usman and unfortunately for him, it's just another fight that is just going to be kind of swept under the rug a little bit. Very impressive win by him, but considering that Colby Covington already defeated Damian Maia, and it, the shine was taken off a little bit after that loss to Colby Covington for Damian Maia. So with Kamaru Usman winning this, it, it was a little bit of a no-win situation here because you kind of felt that it wasn't going to show off his best abilities because Kamaru Usman's best abilities are to uh, grapple and wrestle with you. He's a fantastic wrestler, um, very, very strong, but he just wasn't going to use that against a guy who's such a submission artist and submission legend in Damian Maya. So it forced him to play um, with a, his lesser strengths, which was the striking, but nonetheless, it showed that he was good enough to beat a guy who's at, at this level of striking um, in a, in a five-round striking battle. And that's exactly what he did. So not too bad for him. He does get the win over a guy with a big name in Damian Maya who's competed for the welterweight title, who's competed for the middleweight championship as well. So this is a guy who's very high class, of course. Kamaru Usman moves up to number five, Damian Maya moving down to number six. What would I like to see for Kamaru Usman coming up next? I mean, you, you kind of just have to see what's ahead for him. And you, ahead of him in the rankings, obviously, Tyrone Woodley. I don't see that happening. He's going to face the winner of Rafael Dos Anjos versus uh, Colby Covington next, I believe, because they're fighting for the interim welterweight title. And considering 
that there was a little bit of a possibility that he might fight Darren Till next if Darren Till was able to impressively put away Stephen Thompson. I don't consider that to be a fight that they might give Darren Till considering that he missed weight in his hometown as much as he did. So the UFC typically isn't going to reward something like that. It wasn't a Yoel Romero situation in which the UFC was very understanding for him having missed by about a couple pounds. So you can cross that off the list. But that does open up the, the possibility that if Kamaru Usman um, is looking for an opponent still, if Darren Till is able to get past Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, you have to wonder how upset they will be at Darren Till. Maybe not so much, considering if the fight is able to go on, he's able to put on a very impressive performance. Um, they won't be too upset. But maybe you do t Darren Till versus Kamaru Usman. They have had a little bit of Twitter beef, and uh, Darren Till has been willing and and saying that he's willing and able to fight Kamaru Usman, so he's not shying away from that challenge either. Uh, you have Robbie Lawler ahead in the rankings and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, but I, I believe Lawler is still recovering from an injury, so I don't see that coming to fruition. And then Stephen Wonderboy Thompson fighting Darren Till. So I almost feel that... Whoever wins out of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Darren Till, the winner of that should face Kamaru Usman next. And you kind of set up another number one contenders fight because then you have Colby Covington, Rafael DeSantis winner going on to fight Tyron Woodley. Then you have Stephen Thompson versus Darren Till uh, happening later down the line. And that can, and that, um, being competed to see who the number one contender will be to face the winner of that next title defense that Tyrone Woodley will have in the future. So that's where I'm at with Kamaru Usman as far as Damian Maya. I mean, a lot of credit for him for taking this fight on short notice with uh, having lost two straight fights to high-level wrestlers like Kamaru Usman and then go ahead and not being afraid and just believing in his skills and in himself. Um, then it looked super terrible, just wasn't able to get his game plan off, of course. I just want to see him against someone who's not a dominant wrestler. Give him someone who's a striker, or maybe another submission artist, something like that. Uh, let's see, we go down the line here. Maybe do Damian Maya versus Jorge Masvidal, that would be an interesting fight. You could always do, let's see, Damian Maya... Um, you know, Alex Oliveira, that, that that might be an interesting fight there as well. Alex Oliveira is is a guy that's just coming off a win over Carlos Condit. He would be looking for another big-time win over a big name. I think that that would be a very interesting fight for him as well. All right, so moving forward, let's just talk a little bit about the rest of the card. The, the real names that really impressed me on this card, Alexandra... Uh, Pantoja defeating Brandon Moreno by unanimous decision. This is a guy that you need to keep an eye on. He is extremely talented in that flyweight division, and he just absolutely outclassed Brandon Moreno. It was very quick twitch, um, very much so, more much so than his opponent in Brandon Moreno was able to land much better, effective, efficient, stronger shots in this fight was just way better on the feet. There was no contest when it came to that. Brandon Moreno wasn't able to get it to the to the ground, and uh, he was not able to finish off Brandon Moreno, but a lot of those pinpoint accurate strikes with that pop behind it would have finished a lot of guys in this flyweight division. So Alexander P 
Pantoja. You've got to keep an eye on him. He moved up all the way to number eight in the division. I think that that's about right. He's got a lot of talent um, behind him. I think that this is a real name that we have to keep in mind. Very, very technical. Um, doesn't have a lot of wasted movement in his strikes, so that's pretty impressive. He did lose his last fight to Dustin Ortiz by unanimous decision, so he does have some things to work on, but I think that this is a guy to keep in mind when considering who may be able to uh, rise in this division, so that's one name to, to look after. Then, further up the card, we actually had... Let's see here. Let me go back to that real quick. Of course, we had Andre Andrea Lee, um, Andrea KGB Lee, making her uh, de UFC debut versus Veronica Macedo. She was pretty impressive in this fight. Um, I didn't think that she was able to be as impressive as she wanted to be and really stamp off that fight, but it was a good fight. I think it was fight of the night as well, and uh, she was just way more dominant in the grappling exchanges, was able to get some nice judo throws involved, uh, takedowns against the fence in the middle of the cage as well, and she was just really able to dominate any time that they got to the ground, uh, get into some mount positions here and there, land some nice ground and pound threaten um, with just being offensively active on the ground, so she was impressive in that sense. Was a little bit lackluster in, on whenever she was standing, but anytime she started getting a little bit of trouble or started feeling some shots from her opponent, she was able to get it to the ground, no problem, and, and control where that fight went. So that's a very good sign for her, um, and I think that she's someone to watch out for. A little bit disappointing that someone with this type of personality kind of got lost in the fold on a card like this, but um, I think that this is someone that they can get behind and push. She's got a very interesting personality. I think she is, is the real deal as far as being a competitive flyweight in, in the women's divisions, and let's see where she's at. She's now ranked number 12 at this point, so I think you put it her against any of the the women from top 6 to 15 in this division, maybe even 5 when you look at the women's flyweight rankings. I think she was very competitive and can be uh, very competitive with some of the women, even in the top 4. Uh, so that would be interesting to me, but let's just build her up a little bit slowly. If you want to give her to Paige Van Zandt, why not? I, I don't mind that at all. I think that she's someone that should be pushed over Paige Van Sant. I think she's got better skills. And she looked pretty big for the weight class. She looked very solid at that weight. I thought that she looked like the ideal women's flyweight. So I think that this is a perfect division for her. Uh, again, another name to keep an eye on. If she starts to gain some momentum, finish some fights, uh, continue to have exciting fights or be dominant, look out for, P for the UFC to start pushing her because, um, you know, Unfortunately, this is just part of the process, but it seems like women that are attractive as she is do tend to get pushed, and then if she ha they have that type of skill, and then on top of that, with the personality that she has, I, and the interesting gimmick with the KGB and the cowboy hat, the accent, everything like that, I think that this is someone that the UFC could look to push in the near future, so that's someone that you're going to want to pay attention to, Andrea KGB Lee, okay?
Dominic Reyes defeating Jared Cannonier by TKO punches. Extremely impressive performance here. Jared Cannonier is one of these guys. I think he's a true middleweight, but he continues to decide to fight at the light heavyweight division. But a re very respectable opponent. Someone that is a tough out for anyone. He gave Glover Teixeira all that he could handle in a really close competitive fight. Um, but just got... Um, just got hit really hard by Dominic Reyes here. Dominic Reyes, very tall and big for this light heavyweight 205-pound division that is starving for some young talent, for some new talent to rise in this division so that we can see a little bit of turnover with some of these older guys at the top. Uh, this guy, this kid's 28 years old out of Victoria, out of Victorville, California. Um, two, six, four, 205 pounds is his weight class, of course. Big, big kid. Six KO, TKO wins. Two wins by submissions. And one decision victory. So this is definitely someone to look for in the near future as well. I think that they need to get him on some bigger cards. He was on that Max Holloway versus Jose Aldo too. And then Chiesa, Michael Chiesa versus Kevin Lee. And I think people are really going to start noticing him after this performance. Very impressive win here. His striking looks very, very good. Good power. Good patience as well. It was good to see that even though he was getting pressured, that he was able to react to that and be offensively minded and effective when he was being pressured and, and walking backwards or side to side. Um, so that was impressive to see as well. I'd like to see him get a little bit of a step up in that division. Uh, let's see who would be available there. It looks like he's now at that number 12 spot right now. I think that you could do him versus a Corey Anderson, and that that would be an ideal fight right there. Maybe him versus a Maurice Shogun, who as well. Uh, somewhere in that range, that's what I would like to see. Um, if you really wanted to get a little bit fun with the matchups and, and do two young guys to see how they are going to do, see which one will... Uh, move forward in that division. You could do him versus Tyson Pedro, but I might want to save that for a little bit later on. Let both of these guys kind of rise throughout the division. Weed out some of these older guys or guys that have been there for a little while that we don't really believe in and um, see what they can do and get past those guys. And if there are, then maybe contend for uh, you know one of those title shots later on. But interesting guy to watch. Got a lot of good talent, 28 years old. So let's just keep an eye on him, see what he does here in the new f near future. And then lastly on the card, Tatiana Suarez defeating Alexa Grasso, dominating Alexa Grasso. Uh, I thought Alexa Grasso would be a very interesting matchup for Tatiana Suarez, and she was high, highly ranked. Higher ranked in the division than Suarez was, but Suarez was the overwhelming favorite over her and the biggest favorite on the card, I believe, that night. Um, and it really showed. I mean, she just was, she has that Olympic wrestling pedigree. She didn't get make it to the Olympic team because of that throat cancer, I believe, that she had. She was able to overcome that, but she definitely showed the type of skills that it that is necessary to make a team like that. She very much overwhelmed Grasso. They didn't keep it on the feet very long. She moved up to number nine in the division. Her wrestling is going to be a problem for just about anybody in this division. I mean, Jessica Andrash is a very good grappler and takedown um, artist in her own right. But uh, when it comes to just pure wrestling, she is by far the best. I think 
no doubt about it. She's much better than Carla Esparza. She's got a very big frame for that 115-pound division. I think she is going to be a handful for a lot of these women at the, at the top, but she definitely needs to get better with her striking. Um, I do want to see where how she is able to develop that in the near future because once she gets up to a Rose Namajunas, a Joanna Jonjacek, a Joanna Jonjacek who's become very good with her wrestling takedown defense and is an extremely good striker. Rose Namajunas, who's not only good with her submissions, but very, very deadly with her striking at this point in time. You know, Claudio Gadelia, another woman who's good with her wrestling, grappling, submissions, with her striking. You know, those are going to be the type of women that could put present some issues to the young 27 year old but again she's just 27 years old she won the ultimate fighter is 6-0 and in her MMA career very very impressive she's got a, a very good story behind her you know uh, overcoming that cancer battle of course you know having almost made the Olympic wrestling team I think that this is someone that you absolutely can push she seems to have a very positive attitude uh, a little bit of a different character for sure in this game of mixed martial arts but um, another woman to see coming out of this fight card so I think for the w women's MMA this was actually a very interesting night to, to uh, pay attention to and I thought it was a good showing for the UFC um, in Chile, of course, with Tatiana Suarez, with some of these younger guns, with Mark Usman coming up through the ranks. Um, but I think Tatiana Suarez was definitely the biggest winner of the night. Look for her to potentially be like the main event of a prelim card of the prelims for a pay-per-view or maybe even on the pay-per-view card in her very next fight. Uh, who would I like to see her fight next? Let's take a look at those rankings. I mean, you have Felice Herrig, who is coming off a, a loss. Carla Esparza, um, you know, that, that might be an interesting matchup right there. If you, you really want to challenge her, I would give her Carla Esparza another well-known wrestler. Let's see what happens there. Is she over, able to overwhelm another talented, high-quality wrestler in Carla Esparza? Or do they keep it standing? And when that happens... Is she going to be good enough with her striking to overcome someone who's not necessarily an elite striker in her own right? So I think that that's what I would like to see next, Tatiana Suarez versus Carla Esparza. Okay, so that's it for UFC on at Chile. Uh, UFC Fight Night 129, Maya versus Usman. Um, good, good first card for the Chilean crowd. Unfortunately, Santiago Ponzinibbio had to... Um, bow out of that competition a couple weeks out due to an injury, but I thought that they got an entertaining card nonetheless, even though it did lack a lot of star power. But let's get into this ESPN deal with the UFC. It looks like starting in January of 2019, the UFC will no longer be associated with Fox anymore. They will now be on ESPN plus ESPN as well. Uh, and the ESPN networks, of course. So it looks like they're going to have 20 fights on ESPN Plus, 10 fights on ESPN networks, and then 12 UFC pay-per-view preliminary fights on ESPN networks. So 
first off, let me just say this. I think this is a home run deal for the UFC. There's definitely um, some positives to this deal. There's some negatives to this deal. and um, Or potential positives, potential negatives, of course. Uh, you just have to... We're not really sure how everything's going to play out just yet. We'll have to wait and see how it develops. But um, there are some concerns and there's some things that I'm very happy about with this deal. But nonetheless... Overall, this deal is a home run for the UFC. I believe that this is a home run for the UFC because Dana White just said that he he believes the number for the UFC on Fox deal was like one sixteen, one hundred sixteen million dollars per year, and this deal is three hundred million dollars per year for their for their TV um, contract as a whole. Right, so a very impressive, strong number. It was noted that the own, new ownership that, that that bought the UFC a couple years ago was looking for a $450 million deal per year, but that was always very generous. It was always on a very high side. I thought that maybe the ownership was looking more for about that $400 million range, and I thought that maybe they could get somewhere between that $250, $350 million range. So I think that with getting the $300 million, that's a home run. Why? Because their ratings have gone down uh, in the past couple years, not only on FS1, FS2, but also on Fox, also on pay-per-views, their buys are going down. So not necessarily more people are watching, but yet they were still able to get a massive increase in the value of their TV contract. So that is very impressive with the UFC. I think the ESPN feels that they can elevate UFC much better on their platform than Fox did and I feel that they think that this is just a little bit of a downturn but stars will be created and soon enough you'll you'll have another peak um, season with the UFC it's, the UFC typically goes through some peaks and valleys you'll have one year that has low ratings then you'll have another year that has um, very high ratings for example when about two years ago when Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey were fighting um, about two three times a year I believe there was a there was a year it was was it 2017 no I think it was 2016 where they had like five pay-per-views uh, hit the one million mark and before that year they had just one, I believe. So it was a little bit of a downturn, but you just have to understand that there's ebbs and flows to this uh, to this mixed martial arts business. It just depends what type of stars you have, what type of fights you have, uh, right time. Um, timing is, about, is just about everything right now. But um, I think that they'll definitely hit a peak here pretty soon, and, and you'll start to see the ratings go up again, the pay-per-view buys go up as well. But for the time being, home run deal for the UFC, um, congratulations to them. And uh, for, for me, as a fan, as a consumer, I'm very happy to see this as progress being made. I think that the UFC had always wanted to be on ESPN. I kind of wanted to see them on ESPN to see what type of coverage ESPN would then give the UFC. And I think that that's going to be the major difference with this TV deal as opposed to Fox. I'm not sure that the Fox deal was ever able to give the type of exposure that the UFC was looking for from a mainstream, uh, you know, 
channel provider like Fox. I thought that also they were a little bit hindered, and this is part of the UFC's fault. I don't think that they were being completely honest with the viewer when it came to the UFC tonight, uh, when it came to the pre- and post-fight shows, and just things of that nature. Never really talking about issues involving the UFC or fighters or saying, uh, you know, this fight card was okay, or this fight didn't, wasn't really good. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot more honesty with the ESPN deal because I don't think that they'll have that type of pool that they'll control what ev you know what everyone is saying on ESPN. Even though they're still uh, taking their own production when it comes to the shows on ESPN, they have ESPN has guys like Ariel Hawani, Jeff Wagenheim, Brett Akamoto as MMA journalists who are not being paid by the UFC, who are being paid by ESPN, and they're going to speak their minds. They're going to talk and write about issues that are going on in mixed martial arts that are very valid, such as, you know, fighters not having enough pay, you know, should the fighters form a union so that they can, um, you know, have better rights you know, um, when it comes to their negotiating tactics as well, things of that nature. I think that that's important is to treat the UFC like they treat the NFL, right? Your partners with them at the same way that your partners with the NFL, because you have Monday night football, but there's no loss of criticism for the NFL when it comes to the national anthem policy or Roger Goodell, um, you know, suspending someone for, for, you know, whatever it is, right? There's never any hesitancy for them to go, oh, well, we don't want to piss off the NFL. With the UFC, it kind of always felt like that at Fox. I'm hoping going into the CSPN deal, that will change very much so, very much so, so that the consumers of UFC and mixed martial arts are much more informed, and that way um, it just feels like a more real sport uh, in terms of the mainstream product, of course. So let's get into the good sides of this TV deal overall. I just think, like, we, we've really touched on a lot of them already. I think the exposure is going to be very nice here. I do actually view that 20 events being on ESPN Plus is going to be a positive in the long run. We're continuing to see people go more and more to streaming services such as Amazon Prime. You know, you've got Netflix, Hulu. You've got the WWE Network out there. We had Fight Pass uh, that was that that's been pretty big for the UFC. I mean, it hasn't been hugely successful, but nonetheless, they they um they came out with their own streaming service as well, and now the ES ESPN is coming out with their own streaming service. So um, I'm not really going to talk about this deal from the ESPN side, but I will say that I think that this helps ESPN Plus sell their 4.99 per month product or 49.99 per year product in ESPN Plus because this is a huge addition to um, that platform and having 20 fights per year on ESPN Plus that's a huge deal in my opinion um, I I do believe also the fact that they're no longer going to have this content on Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2 which were really the biggest the biggest pieces of content that uh, Fox Sports 1 and 2 had. I think that that's a, another huge win for ESPN due to the fact that, you know, Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2 have been trying to compete with them for some time. But nonetheless, I think that for UFC, right now you get onto a, plat a streaming service platform that you believe is going to be around in the future and going to be here for the long haul. Establish yourself on that, and that way you can already make some space and try to prove 
that um, you should be a standard on that platform going forward and that way you're not late to the party so I think that that's actually a very good positive um, part of this deal obviously another positive thing about this is the fights that are going to happen on ESPN or ESPN2 I think that that is huge for the UFC that that is going to create a lot more exposure I think you know in my opinion I think being on ESPN ESPN2 is much bigger deal than being on Big Fox because it feels like ESPN is where you go for highlights, where you go to watch a baseball game, basketball, uh, you know, football games, or anything that you want when it comes to sports. When you think sports, you go to ESPN or you think ESPN here in the United States, of course. And for them to now be on that network where people religiously go to um, whenever they turn on the TV and they're just looking to watch sports, I think that that is a huge deal, especially with their pay-per-view preliminary fights. I think that there's potential for those ratings to be much higher than they were on Fox Sports 1, of course, and Fox Sports 2, and that could result in some more pay-per-views being bought um, leading into those pay-per-views. So I think that's another great thing for uh, the UFC. I also think this this is a good deal for the UFC fighters, even though the one glaring bad thing about this for the UFC fighters is that they're not getting any of this TV deal. They're, they haven't negotiated at, le- at least. They may end up as a result of this deal getting paid better because you know the owners are able to have more income they're able to pay off their debt a little bit easier and as a result the fighters may get some more money but they never negotiated uh you know as a collective hold that they would get like 50 percent of the tv deal so that's still a huge issue for the fighters but on the other hand, I, I, I just simply do believe that the exposure that ESPN will give the UFC, and this remains to be seen, of course, I think it's going to far outweigh the exposure that even uh, UFC on, on Fox, Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2 was able to give to the fighters. I think it gives for them potential to make more of these car wash appearances or just have these interviews here and there, um, you know, on weekly and daily, you know, sports center shows, of course, possibly get on some more shows with that Scott Van Pelt, of course, and so I, I just think that for the fighters themselves, this is, provides an opportunity for them to have more exposure and more meaningful media exposure rather than just going on the random radio shows that, you know, maybe don't get that many uh, listeners at this point in time in this day and age. Um, so a lot of things to be excited for here with the UFC on ESPN. And I think ultimately it just provides that one last piece of legitimacy that the UFC has been long looking for when it comes to mainstream sports. Now you're on the same network as Monday Night Football. Now you're on the same network as the Eastern Conference Finals right now, you know, as uh, Major League Baseball on Sunday nights, right? Uh, you know, it would have been seen as you know asinine to think that they were going to end up on ESPN 10 years ago right if you told someone 10 years ago that the UFC would end up on ESPN in 2018 people would have thought you were nuts and crazy how could that ever be on the Walt Disney uh, company's you know channel on on ESPN, right? And now, 10 years later, you see that, ES, that the UFC has gotten to a level 
where they're able to make their stamp and say, we are a legitimate sport. We're being covered by ESPN. And, uh, you know, they just struck a huge TV deal with ESPN. So um, those are the big time pluses for them, as well as the fact now that they do have $300 million to rely on coming in each year just on the TV deal alone, I think that that's going to help them be in a better position to pay off that debt from purchasing the company. And I, I do think that that will result in the fighters getting paid better eventually down the road and down the line. I don't think you're going to see that right away. But maybe later on you'll start to see salaries or, uh, you know, fight purses increase for the fighters on the fight nights, of course. Um, so the negatives of this deal, um, the one glaring negative on this deal is the amount of events that are going to be taking place. And the reason I say that is because I believe that there is an oversaturation problem with the UFC already right now. If they stick to the number of events that was in that ESPN Media Zone um, article, they're going to have 30, 42 fights per year on top of the UFC, um, the, the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series that will be on ESPN+, Plus, which is also a huge deal for UFC as well. So I, I looked at that as being a very big positive for uh, ESPN+, Plus and UFC as well. But... 42 events, that is a ton. I was really hoping that they would cut down the UFC pay-per-views to six, making it feel a lot bigger whenever those pay-per-views come together, giving them an opportunity to stack those cards a little bit better, and that way you could entice the fan to you know throw down the $60. Every two months is a lot more reasonable than doing it every month, of course, and I just don't think that they had the amount of stars possible to... Um, put a real um, a real game-changing fight on those main events for 12 cards a year. I don't think that they had that this year. You you can really see that with the Amanda Nunes versus Raquel Pennington pay-per-view that recently passed by. Apparently that allegedly that did under 100,000 pay-per-view buys, which is unheard of and abysmal for the UFC and uh, just absolutely terrible and horrendous. So with that being the case, I really would have liked to have seen that change, especially because I think with 42 events, they still have to keep the the roster the way it is, as many fighters on there as possible. And I don't think I think that there are a lot of fighters that are not UFC caliber at this point. So if you do uh, 42 and you you lessen it to if you lessen it to 36 fights, I think that you can you can uh, cut off a little bit of the fat of the roster where they're not necessarily UFC caliber. You don't have to worry about them. Maybe potentially with that being the case, you can start to pay some of these guys a little bit better at the top or in that mid-level uh, range of, of the uh, rankings, of course. And then also, I just think, again, having the ability to stack the cards give those pay-per-view events time to breathe and really build up. You have these fight nights and there's nothing wrong with that. Attention gets taken away from the pay-per-views because of that. But if you have just six big pay-per-views per year, it almost feels like a must-see must event. And then also, it would give you an opportunity to put more um, high-level fights on ESPN Plus and those ESPN networks. So I view that as being a little bit of an issue. That's not necessarily an ESPN-related issue. It's more of a UFC issue because... 
they have decided to continue to oversaturate the market a little bit with this. Um, and we already have a ton of Bellator as well, um, you know, a ton of other MMA organizations. So it's just a lot to pay attention to. And you just don't want some of these stars to get lost in the fold when there's 42 events per year. Um, I did hear today that Dana White said that there will not be any fight night UFC Fight Pass exclusive events. So it's not going to be more than 42. I uh, thank God for that because that's already a ton but um, nonetheless, we'll see how the pay-per-view model continues to fold, uh, to roll out here in the future, and to see if they're able to bounce back and really uh, start to present some very strong numbers where they're not getting any less than 200,000 pay-per-view buys, which they, you know, they weren't having an issue doing more than that, um, you know, and as recently as like three or four years ago, right? So. But with that being the case, that's one concern that I have just for the health of mixed martial arts as a whole. Um, another thing to consider is the, ES the UFC on ESPN Fight Nights. I have a little bit of a concern there because it says ESPN Networks. They didn't really clarify whether all 10 of those fights and all 12 of those UFC pay-per-view preliminary fights were going to be on ESPN, ESPN2, or if they were going to be spread across, you know, potentially ESPNU, ESPN uh, News, ESPN Classic, any of those other platforms that they have. I don't want to see a lot of that content get moved over. I would love to see it really maintain its uh, focus on ESPN and ESPN2. Um, that's where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck if you're the UFC, of course. That's where you're really going to start pulling in some more viewerships and potentially get more viewers to your pay-per-view cards, of course, and uh, get more viewers to uh, your stars that you're trying to build on those cards. I imagine those are going to be uh, better put together than the ESPN Plus cards, of course. Um, so with that being said, I just want to see the majority of those being put on ESPN or ESPN2. And when I say the majority, I mean just about all of them, if if not all of them. I mean, at least I could understand if maybe four of those events with two pay-per-view preliminary fights and maybe two of those ESPN fight nights on ESPN networks make it to uh, perhaps another ESPN channel. But if any more then that is, is starting to happen, then I really start to wonder how much they're getting out of that TV deal as far as the exposure goes and if it's really better than Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2. I thought that that was a real hindrance for them there in the UFC on Fox era was that, yes, the exposure on Fox was great, but it was only four times a year, and the majority of the other content was pay-per-view or Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2. So, so that was a little bit... Um, lacking in their exposure ability even as opposed to when they used to be on spike back in the back in the day so that is a little bit concerning but we'll just have to see how that plays out a uh, part of the reason why i have that concern is because college fo football is a huge deal on saturday nights um of course here in the states and, and so is college basketball as well on espn and espn too if they have to compromise and do you know some fight cards on sundays where you know there's nfl football but you there's you know tv is basically freed up on espn espn too then i would be very much in favor of that i do enjoy actually watching the fights on sunday nights as well so i think that that is a viable option as well other than 
you know, pushing it to a ESPN U, ESPN Classic, ESPN News. I'd much rather see that happen than it just be swiped under the rug into some of those other ESPN network channels that really aren't going to get as much exposure as an ESPN or an ESPN2. So that's really the main concern for me, but we'll just have to see how that role, that plays out, and um, we'll see um, what they do with that going forward. Um, other than that, like I said, overall, I think this is a home run deal for the UFC. I think it's a home run deal for ESPN, again, taking a prop property away from one of their rivals in Fox Fox Sports of course and then ESP and then the UFC you know getting 300 million dollars in this climate in a climate in which uh, TV ratings are going down their ratings have gone down their pay-per-view buys have gone down and really needing a lot of that money in order to help them out with their debt when they bought the UFC and and, and having taken out that massive massive loan um, so this is a big win for them. Again, a little bit of other things that just to touch on this deal. New seasons of Dana White, Dana White's Contender Series beginning in June 2019 will be viewed on ESPN+. Plus. Um, you know, other original IMG content, apparently pre-fight and post-fight event shows for all 30 UFC and ESPN Fight Night programs are going to be there. Uh, non-exclusive access to UFC's full archive of programming, including their historic events, classic bouts. Um, so just additional stuff like that. Also press conferences, UFC countdown shows, pre and fight uh, post shows, weigh-ins, things of that nature, all going to be shown on ESPN Plus as well as ESPN, ESPN2. So I think that that's um, interesting to note as well. Um, and it's just $4.99 a month, so it's not a whole lot to spend on. Also, for people that are wondering about the UFC Fight Pass and how that plays into this, UFC, keep in mind ESPN Plus, ESPN is just, this is just a deal for the United States. So in other parts of the world, UFC Fight Pass is actually relied on to watch the UFC Fight Night events, the ones that were even on Fox or Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2, or even to buy your pay-per-views, you do it through UFC Fight Pass. So it's still going to be a real valuable player to the UFC. It's just going to be a more valuable player internationally, as well as they're still going to be offering Eddie Bravo Invitational, you know, Invicta FC, uh, you know, your glory kickboxing as well. So I don't think it'll go away 100% with Within the United States customer fan base, but I do believe that it's going to be more of a focus for the international crowd. There's not going to be any exclusive fight night events on there, so for the United States crowd, it may not be as important for them to keep it around, but it is going to be a platform that they use um, going forward to continue to grow the viewership of mixed martial arts outside of the United States as well. So it's not going to go away. Um, they're still going to grow that as much as they can. Okay, going on to the next thing, Bellator 200. Let's get to some of the results here. Uh, looks like Phil Davis defeated Linton Vassal by uh, by head kick by KO in the third round. Uh, impressive finish here. Really don't get to watch much of this fight. Uh, just saw the highlights of this, but a good win for Phil Davis. Looks like he's looking for another title shot against Ryan Bader. We'll see how things play out in Bellator. Th these things start you know, tend to develop very slowly, unfortunately, with how it works in Bellator. 
And Ryan Bader is in the midst of a tournament in the, that heavyweight Grand Prix tournament. He's scheduled to fight Matt Mitrione next. And if he were to win that fight, he would be then scheduled to fight the winner of Chelsea versus Fedor Emelianenko. So Phil Davis, I believe, is going to have to take another one, two, maybe even three fights because at this point he has lost two fights to Ryan Bader. Both fights were extremely boring. One in the UFC, one in Bellator. Uh, not a whole lot of action. Just two really high-level mixed martial artists that have very similar uh, strengths and weaknesses. And it just doesn't really develop to be to play out to be a very good fight. But considering that that light heavyweight division is a little bit shallow, King Malawal is going down to two of to 185 you have potentially Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell doing their business elsewhere other than Bellator you don't you you know Liam McGarry has kind of fallen off the wagon of late uh, there's just not a whole lot at 205 there is a possibility that Phil Davis maybe even with just one more fight would get that that trilogy fight with Ryan Bader but um, I, I think it's going to take him two to three more fights before he is able to get there. But it definitely helps when he has very impressive performances and finishes like the one he did against Linton Vassal. Michael Venom Page defeating David Rickles by TKO. Actually, uh, retirement. David Rickles actually quit in the second round. This was a star-making performance by Michael Page. I've not wholly bought into the hype of Michael, Michael Venom Page MVP as he goes by. But this was an absolute star-making performance here in London, England last night. Very, very impressive. Michael Page just uh, hitting whatever shot he wanted, absolutely controlling the distance 100% of the time, dancing in the oct- dancing in the cage, um, taunting David Rickles, doing the salsa dance, getting into a karate, you know, kid-type style uh, stance and just... Um, taunting him and then just hitting him whenever he wanted hands low uh, movement very solid going you know side to side never letting David Rickles get in close and get comfortable I don't even think he landed one solid shot on Michael Venom Page David Rickles and just hit him really did not hit him with a lot so for him to have hit him with the amount of shots he did which was I don't know maybe it had to have been less than 30 shots in the whole fight. And then he just absolutely explodes the um, the, the swollen part of his eye over the left part of his eye. And David Rickles, as soon as that happened, he goes, I've had enough. That's it. He had gotten hurt in that first round. Absolutely lit up with straight shots, with jabs, um, uppercuts up the middle, of course, as well. And, and just that quick twitch reaction that those quick muscle fibers that Michael Page has. His timing was absolutely 100% in control the whole time. Again, was never, never let David Rickles get into the range that he wanted to. Looked like the far superior striker in this fight. Michael Venom Page, very, very impressive in this win. Um, You know, he had the Thanos uh, hand uh, ready for, for him. Uh, next to the cage you know he had done the Pokemon thing a few years ago so he is very much a showman and he w- he's got a great personality great fighting style and I just thought that this was the best he had ever looked in the Bellator cage you know coming off an 18 month hiatus after that unimpressive win over Fernando Gonzalez that was a s- split decision tough tough win there but absolutely showed uh 
fantastic ability here. It has eight KOTKO victories, three submissions victories, and two decision victories. He's 31 years old at this point. They have paced him very, very, very slowly in his Bellator career. He's got eight wins in Bellator, uh, eight straight wins in Bellator, 13-0 as a professional fighter. I think you got to start getting this guy going. He's 31 years old. He's shown the progress. You've given him more than enough time to work on his grappling, his takedown defense, and I think you got to make the big-time matchups with this dude going forward in that welterweight division. I think next, what you do with him, even though Paul Daly's coming off a loss, you do Paul Daly versus Michael Venom Page. Michael Venom Page felt like a star, looked like a star in London, England, in his hometown. I think you've got to do that next because there is a storyline, there is a big rivalry brewing there. Uh, the two English fighters facing off against each other. They have had a lot of attention here in the past, even with, you know, some of the casual mixed martial arts audience, which is hard to get, especially with Bellator, especially if, if UFC is having trouble getting casual fans, Bellator is definitely having some of that trouble. That's a fight that the hardcores absolutely have to see. It's not they want to. They have to see it. That's how they feel. That's how we feel. And the casual fans are actually somewhat aware of some of them. Not a whole ton of them, of course, because at the end of the day, it is Bellator. But this guy had a star-making performance. The antics that he had inside the cage was uh, fantastic. The mouthpiece that he has as well. And then the, the striking skills, this unique striking skills to go along with it was fantastic in this fight. So, uh, nonetheless, star-making performance for Michael Venom Page. Get him going. Have him face off against Paul Daly. If he's able to do that, maybe you give him a welterweight title shot next against uh, Rory McDonald after that. Or, or maybe you have him go against one more guy before that happens, maybe at Douglas Lima, to see if Douglas Lima can get back to that stage. But I, I'd be in, any t in, a, in favor of a fight like that. You could have had Andre Korshkov as well. So um, there, there's a few options there for Michael Venom Page. But this is the time. Take the training wheels off. Time to let them fly. Last fight of the night, main event, Gegard Mousasi defeating Rafael Carvalho by TKO punches here. Um, just dominated this fight. I mean, didn't really play out too much on the feet. Didn't really look like one was getting the advantage over the other, but Gegard Mousasi just simply was able to get Rafael Carvalho against the cage in a takedown attempt. Uh, was able to get the back a little bit, uh, get him down for a quick moment, and then... Um, Carvalho st stood back up, but then Musashi was threatening, getting to his back, then got a trip takedown. Eventually, was able to get into mount, uh, transition very smoothly into mount, started landing a little bit of ground and pound. And then Carvalho, when he has turned onto his stomach, um, Gegard Musashi, as John McCarthy very well noted last night, he got a hold of Carvalho's left hand, uh, took grab of it, and then just... So that left only Carvalho to have one hand to protect his head as he was straight down on his stomach. He was all spread out. Um, Musasi had both of his hooks in, and he was just pounding on him from the from top, and eventually the ref stopped it because he was just getting absolutely pounded, wasn't able to defend himself very well at all. And there you have it, Gegard Musasi, uh, three, was that, two fights in, is your new Bellator middleweight champion which is big time for Bellator because they needed a name at middleweight. People were forgetting who 
was the Bellator middleweight champion in Bellator. This is now his seventh straight wins for Gegard Mousasi, his last loss coming to Uriah Hall um, back in 2015, but since then defeated Talis Leitis, Teago Santos, Vitor Belfort, Uriah Hall, Chris Weidman, Alexander Schlemenko, and Rafael Carvalho. I think that this is big time for Bellator, the 32-year-old capturing the Bellator championship. The reason why is because who did he call out afterwards? He called out Rory McDonald, the Bellator 170-pound champion, the Bellator champion that has been willing to go up to 185, who's talked a little bit of trash about Gegard Mousasi, didn't think that his fight against Slamenko was very impressive at all. Mousasi then responded when Rory McDonald uh, very slimly passed by uh, Douglas Lima to win his welterweight title in Bellator. So that, I believe, is going to be a much-anticipated fight, one that everyone wants to see in the MMA community. I think that that is about the biggest fight that they can put on right now in mix in Bellator MMA, the most legitimate fight that actually has real competitive competitive in implications. Sometimes you see a Michael Chandler fight or a Gegard Musashi or Rory McDonald or, um, you know, even take Matt Mitrione. You take, uh, you know, some of these other guys and you go, yeah, you know, this fight is, it, it's interesting to watch because of the one guy that's in the fight, but we know he's going to crush his opponent, right? Michael Venom Page versus David Rickles. Yeah, interesting, but just because of Michael Venom Page. When you put Gegard Musasi in, the 185-pound champion, versus the 170-pound champion and Roy McDonald, some, two guys who um, some fans think, and a lot of fans think, could at least contend for the UFC titles, and if not just contend, could even be the UFC champions, meaning these potentially are the best middleweight in the world and the best welterweight in the world and you have them come together for a super fight in Bellator, it does not get as any more legitimate than that. I think Bellator absolutely needs that right now. They have been suffering in some rating blows as of late and um, I just think that their star power, uh, they need to build these massive events, not only with old-time fighters like Chelsea and Tito Ortiz, um, you know, Fedor Emelianenko, they need to have a marquee matchup in the main event with two guys that are in their primes right now that could be considered the best welterweight, middleweight in the world, and you can't say that for just about any of their other divisions. The UFC has all those guys, right? I mean, they have the elite of the elite. These are two guys that are so elite that you have to see them fight each other in an organization like Bellator. They've got to put it together, but this is what I would say. Please, 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 Bellator, for the love of God, please stop having tape delays whenever you go overseas. If you're going to do that, stop putting Roy McDonald overseas. Stop putting Gayard Musashi overseas. I understand that there are business reasons that it is efficient when it comes to financials to put on events overseas, but it is not helping out your product here in the States at all. Unless you're going to get European uh, focus, which I don't believe you are, then I guess do that, but um, you you have to find a way to make these live events here in the United States, um, you know, because people are going to go online, look at the results no matter what. Uh, this is not something in which you want to, 
this is not something in which you want to delay it later. People are going to lose interest. They're going to look at the results, and they may just not watch the fight at all, especially if it's not a good fight. So um, I, I don't think that that is a smart strategy for them. I'm not exactly sure why that they're doing those tape delays. The UFC is able to still put on live events as they will tomorrow from Liverpool, England. They're still going to have Darren Till versus Stephen Wonderboy Thompson on Fox Sports 1, even though it's going to be a, the main card starts at like 1 or 2 or something like that. I, I don't exactly remember off the top of my head right now. They're still showing it live. I think that is the way to go. If people aren't going to watch it during the day, they can DVR it, watch it later, but you at least give them that option. You make it available to everyone who does want to watch it because there's plenty of fans, especially in the mixed martial arts community, that are Rory McDonald fans, that are Gegard Mousasi fans, that want to see that fight right now, right then. So uh, please don't do that. I think it needs to happen in the States, and it needs to feel like a big, big-time card. Um, with Bellator, I also just, you know, it's just concerning because uh, overall, just to take a note at that, I mean, the fights that they're putting on just aren't noteworthy. You know, you get a fight card like this every once in a while, but let's let's go to the next fights that go, they're going to have. If you go on to SureDog.com, right, which is where just about everyone knows to go to fight, find any fighter or fights that are coming up. You see Bellator 201, then you see Bellator Pitbull versus um, Daniel Vitral. and for Bellator 201, you have Lima Lay McFarlane. I'm not exactly sure if I'm. Uh, Ilima Leigh McFarlane versus Alejandra Lara, and that's going to be the main event. But uh, no one really knows about those two women, unfortunately. Syed Awad versus Ryan Couture, that's not really going to get anything, any uh, momentum. Valerie Latorno versus Bruna Ellen, interesting that Valerie Latorno, former UFC fighter, is making her debut, but nothing screams, I have to watch this. So that is part of the reason for um, these cards lacking in ratings. And also, those are the only three fights listed on SureDog as of right now for a June 29th event. That is just in one month, so it's not too far in the distance. And then with Pitbull, Patricio Pitbull versus uh, Daniel Vitral, you have that going on in July 2014, or July 14th in Rome, Italy. And, uh, you know, there's only four fights that you can find on SureDog of that. And that's the only interesting fight on there as of right now. So uh, they've got to do better with these cards. Um, maybe they're making more money by going to Europe and, and things of that nature. I'm not exactly sure. But um, it's just an interesting time for Bellator. But even but with that being said, I think that's even more reason they, they have to make Michael Venom Page versus... Um, versus Paul Daly. That is the, one of the biggest fights they could do. And then Gagor Musasi versus Roy McDonald. They've got to do that champion versus champion matchup in order to start getting ratings and a lot of fan momentum and um, excitement around going around Bellator, of course. Okay, so let's move on from that. UFC Fight Night 130. Steven Wonderboy Thompson versus Darren Till going down in Liverpool, England tomorrow. Uh, so this is going to be a very interesting event here. There, let's just go down the list a little bit. There, touch on, just give you some fights to pay attention to. Molly McCann versus Jillian Robertson. Molly McCann uh, coming in with a champion 
pedigree on the regional scene. She did miss weight by one pound, but she's looked to be a little bit of a prospect in her weight division as well for women's mixed martial arts. Um, when it comes to that flyweight division, so look at her. She was a former KOH Warriors champion, has been pretty impressive in her career. Has four TKO, TKO wins out of seven wins, so um, and hasn't lost since her second professional fight. So uh, that's definitely a name to keep um, notice of. She's from England as well. Also think that some other good fights to take notice of. David Taymor is fighting on this card. You've got Tom Breeze def- fighting uh, Daniel Kelly. That should be interesting. Uh, then you also have Makwan Amirkani versus Jason Knight, two talented featherweights that have fallen on tough times lately, but uh, this is an interesting fight. Arnold Allen, who has fought in England for quite some time now, going against Mads Burnell. Um, <coughs> let's see here. Arnold Allen is a guy to look forward to. Uh, he's 3-0 and in the UFC. Has had a little bit of a slow career in the UFC. One fight in 2015, one fight in 2016, and one fight in 2017. Um, let's see here. Yeah, one fight in 2017. He needs to start getting it going a little bit in his career, but he is still only 24 years old, so it, it could be okay. He could just be... Um, continuing to improve on his skills and really before he starts becoming super active I think 24 25 is when you want to be pretty active start climbing those ranks and start being impressive if he's able to win against Burnell on uh, Sunday then I think that his next fight should definitely be in the States because I don't believe that he's had a ton of United States experience, if any at all. Um, I think he needs to be exposed to that type of crowd, and if, if he has an impressive win here, then I, I think it would be time to test the water, see what he has going forward. You have Neil Magny versus Craig White. Craig White taking um, you know, the place of Gunnar Nelson, who had to pull out with an injury. So he's coming in to fight Neil Magny. That should be an interesting contest at uh, the 170-pound division. But the main event is the most important fight of the night. This is a fight that could be a a co-main event on a pay-per-view. This is a fight that definitely is main event worthy for a fight night. Uh, has a lot of hype behind it. Darren Till undefeated 16-0-1 against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson 14-2-1. <clears throat> this is a very interesting fight. Let's get to the weight issue first. Darren Till missing weight by 3.5 pounds. Had the 1 pound allowance for uh, since it was not a title fight, so all he had to do was make 171, was not able to do that, still missed weight by three and a half pounds, even with that one pound allowance, so uh, ended up get, coming in at 174 and a half pounds, um, unfortunate, Dana White was not very happy with it, um, I've seen him go off a lot harsher with this type of stuff in the past, but, you know, he was in his hometown, still was not able to make weight, Apparently, there was some sort of family emergency that he had to attend to either here in the past two or three days, and that could have played a role or factor in this. Not exactly sure what happened there, so I'm going to reserve judgment before uh, taking him to the coals and and raking him over the coals on this issue because I don't know what the family issue was. 
what happened. Dana White said that even with that family issue, it sounds cold-hearted, but you still have to be a professional make the weight. And uh, I do understand that, but I, I really want to see how this story develops. Maybe we'll never find out because that is personal information if there was a family emergency. But we're just going to have to wait and see what happens there and see if this becomes a reoccurring issue for Darren Till, a guy who has missed weight in the past, uh, just once before in the UFC. So was this a discipline issue or was this just an issue that, you know, a family emergency came up. It really took off his timing. He's a big, big 170 pounder. It's hard for him to get down there in the first place. And if you get taken off your schedule even just a little bit, um, that could really affect, dramatically affect your weight, your weight cut. So, but let's talk about this fight. There's a lot of hype behind Darren Till and uh, how he is going to... Uh, become the next big thing in that 170 pound division some people view him a little bit similar to the next conor mcgregor things of that nature of course and i just want to hit the brakes a little bit and say slow down a little bit let's see what this guy can do against elite level competition he has fantastic striking had a very dominant win with a lot of fantastic technique good power in his strikes as well very strong kicks, um, knows exactly what to do when it comes to his striking technique, and, and had a very impressive finish and dominating. Um, just, he really imposed his will on Arnold Cerrone. He looked very strong in that fight as well. So that that was very impressive. But he's going up against a guy in Steve Wonderboy Thompson who is a world-class kickboxer. Um, someone who is a multiple-time champion, someone who I believe was like something like 70 and 0 in kickboxing, right? A guy who is as elite as Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. He's not just going to be run over the same way that Donald Cerrone was. Maybe Darren Till was a different level than Donald Cerrone, but let's go back to that fight. Donald Cerrone was coming off of a loss to, I believe, Jorge Masvidal, and that was, uh, let's see here... Was that is that the case? No. So he was coming off a loss to Jorge Masvidal by TKO. Then he was coming off a loss. Uh, after that, he fought Robbie Lawler and came off of a decision loss over against him. And then the fight decided to fight Darren Till um, and lost to him with TKO punches. So this is a guy who has experienced some, you know. You know, knockout early in 2017, fought in mid-2017, a unanimous decision, lost to Robbie Lawler. I thought he won that fight, but nonetheless, he still lost and took some punishment there. Then had another quick turnaround in October. I think that was a little bit too much for Donald Cerrone. <laughs> but nonetheless, let's just assume that even with that being the case, that Simply, Darren Till is the better striker and was just better than Donald Cerrone. Well, Donald Cerrone, I still believe, is a natural 155-pounder. So that's part of the reason why I think that Darren Till was such a huge issue for him. I think that his his size was a little bit overwhelming to Donald, and the pressure that he was able to put on to him was a, a little bit overwhelming to Donald as well. I don't see that being the case for Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I believe that Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is going to be a hard puzzle to crack in this one. I think that the way to beat and defeat Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is to be a guy like Tyron Woodley, guy who's got massive power in his hands, a lot of dynamite, and is also a spectacular wrestler, a guy that... <laughs> 
he has to worry not only about getting knocked out, but being taken down and dominated on the ground. Tyron Woodley has super aggressive and very impactful ground and pound as well. Um, I think that those are all things that played a factor in him losing that fight to uh, Tyron Woodley. But he did win against Jorge Masvidal, another guy who's a very talented boxer and striker type of guy in the mixed in mixed martial arts as well as has good grappling abilities and has a good ability to uh you know finish people on the ground whether it be by submission or with his ground and pound as well i think that he reaffirmed why he's the number one contender in that welterweight division is because um his striking is just so fantastic his understanding of range is second to none he really has fantastic timing as well and his strikes are are very quick. There's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of um, movement before he he throws his strike, so he he doesn't really show he doesn't have any tell signs or anything like that. Um, I think that this guy is very smooth with his striking and and very smart and uh, intelligent when it comes to that striking. I think it's going to be hard for Darren Till to go, get in on the style of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson because Stephen Wonderboy imposes that karate style. He's very long. He leaves, leaves his foot very much out there and you know, and can quickly, quickly uh, revert backwards or move side to side if someone's coming in on him and does a very good job of moving side to side and then boom, right uh, in a moment's notice, counters with a left or counters with a right or throws a leg kick that was never even seen by his opponent. I think that he, there's going to be some issues with that against Darren Till um, or facing Stephen Wonderboy Thompson for Darren Till. Darren Till is a pretty, was pretty aggressive in that Donald's for running fight. I think if he does that against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, he, Wonderboy Thompson's going to be able to pick some of his shots, going to pick off him a little bit, headhunt a little bit with you know some of his hand strikes, and then also land some of those uh, patented high kicks that he's been able to land to the head, spinning some of the spinning attacks and variety of that nature. I don't know that Darren Till gets this fight to the ground, and I think that it almost might be smart to do so. I think he actually would have a decent shot of defeating Stephen Wonderboy Thompson down there, but I know he wants to impose his will striking-wise as well. He believes he's the best striker in this division. He believes that he can knock out Thompson. I do believe he has the power to do so, but I don't view Darren Till as being the special type of talent that Conor McGregor was coming up. This is a guy that they're very much comparing him to. But let's take a look at his UFC career. Um, he defeated his first fight, ended by KO. Uh, Wendell de, de Oliveira Marquez, he defeated by K, KO elbows, right? He then had a, a majority draw against Nicholas Dalby. He then won by unanimous decision against Jason Ayari. Ayari. And then a unanimous decision victory against Bojan. Vilakovic, as some of these guys aren't even in the UFC anymore, are not very successful in the USV, UFC at all either, and then he finally gets that win over Donald Cerrone, TKO punches, super impressive star-making performance, but nonetheless, that was only his second win by finish in the UFC in, let's see, one, two, three, four, five tries against guys that weren't very high-level competition other than Donald Cerrone. He does have t 10 TKO, TKO victories in 16 wins overall, so he has shown the ability to finish fights. 
there could have been issues. He seems like a guy that has had some issues, you know, in his personal life, going to Brazil, coming back to England. He's had, he seems like a guy that has had constant change, as well as he was also growing as a fighter as well. He's t just 25 years old right now. I really feel like when young fighters have a lot of experience early on that's a very good thing for them but sometimes they don't know exactly who they are as a fighter so they start to develop they learn these skills learn these skills learn these skills then they try to figure out well what skills am I going to use in that fight what skills am I really going to make uh, my bread and butter when it comes to the octagon and once you get to that 25 26 range you start to figure out okay let me put these skills to the side if I need them I can use them if I need this tool out of my tool bag I can take it out and I can utilize it but that's not necessary for me to use all the time here's my game plan this is what I like to do let's go out there and implement it build on it and then sometimes adjust depending on who my opponent is what their strengths what their weaknesses may be so he may be at that point stage of his life and that may have sh come to fruition in that Donald Cerrone fight and that might be the why that might be the reason why everyone was so impressed with him why he had such an impressive dominating performance against Donald Cerrone in a fight where Donald was really not able to get a lot off but again Donald Cerrone is a, is a guy who does not like to be pressured um, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson prefers to be pressured. He does not like to pressure his opponents. That's why the Tyrone Woodley fight was not a good contest, because Tyrone Woodley, um, part of his strategy was, I'm either going to take you down, or I'm going to avoid coming in on you and getting countered with a vicious head kick or, or strike, uppercut, something of that nature. And I'm going to wait for you to come to me, and I will counter you with my power overhand rights and my, my light kicks as well. That was Tyrone Woodley's game plan, and that's what really threw Stephen Wonderboy Thompson off. When Stephen Wonderboy Thompson has had someone march him down, come forward like a Johnny Hendricks, like a Robert Whitaker in the past, he has been able to take advantage and finish those guys. Um, you know, Jake Ellenberger, another guy who was able to... Uh, to, to knock out and he was aggressive as well I don't think that Darren Till is going to be overly hyper aggressive but I'm not sure that he's going to be able to pull Stephen Wonderboy Thompson in a position to that Wonderboy is going forward I do believe that Till is very confident will come forward I think that he's going to have a little bit of trouble landing the type of shots that he envisions landing the type of shots that he landed against Donald Cerrone I do believe that Stephen Wonderboy Thompson wins this fight in this five-round main event contest, and I will even go out on a limb and say that he wins by third third round TKO with a head kick. I do believe that he is just too much too soon for Darren Till. I think they should have given a guy of lesser rank, of lesser notice to Darren Till. I think that that win for Donald Cerrone, while blessing for him and for his career, a little bit of a disaster, a little bit bad for him in the sense that they gave him Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who is the elite of the elite in this division. I think a little bit more progression, a little bit more seasoning for Darren Till, and this is a very winnable fight. Now, I will say this, if Darren Till wins, if he is able to land that big shot, it will be um, it will be a stamp on the fact and it will be confirmation to everybody 
that does believe that he has the next big deal, that he has arrived, that he has figured things out. Even though he had a draw with a lower-level fighter, and he hasn't been able to finish all those guys, at 25 years old, he's really coming into his own. He's grown into his body. He's maturing. He's maturing intelligently as well with his MMA IQ as well. Um, if he wins, that is a huge, massive win, and I do believe he would be one fight away from fighting for the UFC welterweight title. Um, he's got a lot of fanfare behind him, especially in Liverpool. He's got a huge fan base in England. He could be the next face of English mixed martial arts. Um, now that Michael Bisping is uh, looking like he's retired from the sport. So this is a major opportunity for him. But if he misses weight, ends up losing to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson in any fashion, and then nonetheless, if he does get knocked out or TKO'd, like I did predict in the third round, this is going to be looked as a bit of a... Uh, a little bit of a crisis for, for him and, and just a little bit of a disaster, this whole event. The fact that he missed weight doesn't go out there and have a good performance. But if he's able to win, the weight cut issues will get a little bit swept under the rug as long as he's able to make weight no problem next time around. And if he's able to win in, you know, in very impressive fashion, there's going to be a huge swell of momentum and fan uh, excitement around this guy because he does have charisma. He does have this unbelievable self-belief in himself uh, that we don't see from a lot of fighters that is a little bit Conor McGregor, uh, you know, similar to Conor McGregor, of course, and, and that's what we like to see. We like to see these guys. It's not always about the trash talk, but it's always, but sometimes it's about these interesting personalities that just have this unbelievable self-confidence. You go, yeah, I buy into it too. If you have the buy, the fans buying into what you're selling, that's when you can really get a lot of excitement around you. He's been able to do that, but nonetheless. I just think this is a little bit too soon, too much too soon. I think that Darren Till, excellent striker, excellent with his Muay Thai, of course, and, and all the other tools that he has in the bag, but you're going up against a guy who is an absolute champion and stud and legend in kickboxing. I don't think that that is going to be a recipe for him to have an easy victory here. I think the people that are um, a little bit down on Stephen Wonderboy Thompson are going to relearn how good this guy is at his craft. I think that that's why he's so hyper confident with this fight as well I think that's why when he was on the MMA hour he said yeah you know I'm not really that impressed by it Darren Till Stephen Thompson has seen the best of the best if he is not very impressed with his striking I have to go ahead and believe his expertise because I don't think that that is just a fight bravado or fight talk Stephen Wonderboy Thompson doesn't really do that type of thing I think that's Stephen Wonderboy Thompson saying I've seen much better I've seen bigger power from, you know, strikers like Darren Till, I think I got this in the bag, and I would feel confident putting my chips into uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson's corner at this point. I think that he's just going to overwhelm Darren Till a little bit too much, be a little bit too confusing, and in the end, come out looking like a real big star, and um, just getting a lot of rub from this, and a lot of good gracious from fall into the good graces of the MMA community once again because he'll have defeated the young Darren Till Lion and then he'll have also done it with uh, going into his hometown and uh, and also against a guy who did miss weight so I do believe that to be the case but we shall see Darren Till could be make me an absolute fool, fool tomorrow we will see 
Um, it'll be very interesting. Super excited for this fight. Do believe Stephen Wonderboy Thompson gets it done in the third round. All right, so that's my uh, prediction for UFC Fight Night 130. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson versus Darren Till going on midday tomorrow on Sunday. May 27th in Liverpool, England. Going to be a very exciting event. Even Dana White went to the event, uh, even though he's not too happy with Darren Till. It'll be interesting to see uh, his reaction to the events that occur. Uh, let's hope that Darren Till is able to make that 188-pound uh, limit. He does have to weigh in at 188, I think, at 1 p.m. local time, of course, in, in uh, Liverpool, England. If he does not, the fight could potentially be called off, or they will have to go renegotiate with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson to see if more money needs to come his way, if he'll accept the fight. Um, so that is going to be a storyline as well. So we will not rest easy tonight. Um, we'll, we'll be a little bit nervous, but I guess for the American audience at least, we'll find out sooner than the uh, English audience will. So let's see what happens there. Hopefully it makes that 188-pound limit requirement at 1 p.m., as what is required and negotiated when Stephen Wonderboy Thompson decided to move on with this fight. If he doesn't, uh, pretty good potential that the fight will fall off, but there is potential that, that Thompson could renegotiate and agree to a, an, another set of terms. And uh, we'll see. I'm a little bit nervous because Darren Tillow seemed a little bit nervous since you know, he said he would get it done, but... Um, he also said that he was going to, uh, you know, not miss weight in the first place. So let's see what happens there. Um, if that does happen, it'll be a disaster. Other thing to keep in mind was Dana White today was supposed to be meeting with Conor McGregor in Liverpool, England. Be interesting to see if he's actually cage-sided for the event, if he's actually in attendance. Um, so let's just keep our ears open and aware to see do what what type of vibes do we get from Dana White coming out of Liverpool about Darren Till and Stephen Thompson, but also about Conor McGregor? There should be some news coming up soon. I would think, uh, I would assume that we'll find out very soon, just to at least get a feeling about how the meeting went to see what Conor McGregor will do here in the near future regarding his UFC and mixed martial arts career. Okay, and then coming up soon, June first, two thousand eighteen, uh, we've got. The UFC Fight Night 131, Rivera vs. Marias. Jimmy Rivera versus Marlon Marias in the main event for an absolute barn burner at the, in the 135-pound division. That's June 1st uh, in Utica, New York. That's going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal fight. Not a whole lot more to pay attention to on this card, but we will break down that fight before it takes place next week. And then the one, the fight card that is absolutely a barn burner for sure. June 9th, 2018 in Chicago, Illinois, UFC 225 on pay-per-view, Robert Whitaker versus Joel Romero 2 for the, middle, for the UFC middleweight championship of the world, the undisputed UFC middleweight championship is going down, you also have Rafael Dos Anjos facing off against the controversial Colby Covington in a UFC interim welterweight title fight, Holly Holm facing off against Megan Anderson. Megan Anderson making her debut against the, the UFC vet in Holly Holm. Andre Arlovsky versus Tai Tuivasa, the, the fast riser in Tai Tuivasa, challenging the legend in Andre Arlovsky, the former UFC heavyweight champion. 
then you also have CM Punk, otherwise known as Phil Brooks, attempting to get his first professional win in mixed martial arts against Mike Jackson. That'll be an interesting storyline to, to, to uh, pay attention to. Some other fights on this fight card that are going to be absolutely intriguing to watch. Claudia Gadelia versus Carla Esparza. They're going to be facing off in that uh, strawweight division. Alistair Overeem versus Curtis Blades in the heavyweight division. Uh, you know, a, a longtime legend in the heavyweight division against another young gun in the heavyweight division. See what happens there. Uh, you've got Rashad Evans facing off against Anthony Smith in the light heavyweight competition, like Rashad Evans trying to see if he can give it one more go, see if a return to light heavyweight will do him any good as opposed to him making the weight cut all the way down to middleweight. Joseph Benavidez making his long-awaited return against uh, rising star Sergio Pettis in that flyweight division. Potentially Joseph Benavidez um, making another attempt to... to uh, fight for the title against Demetrius Johnson in a trilogy fight. You've even got Clay Guida versus Bobby Green. That is even a good fight as well. Uh, two guys that are a little bit old school that should make for an entertaining matchup. So there's a lot to be excited for for that UFC 225 card. We'll break that down here in the future as well, and then we'll discuss any other news. Uh, just on the back end, other news I'd like to touch on. Nick Diaz being arrested for potential allegedly domestic assault we'll have to see what happens coming out with these allegations uh, apparently there was a woman that was taken to a hospital he already got onto instagram showing his elbow that looked to be injured or that he had um you know hit someone with potentially i'm not sure what's going on there why he's posting that on social media he had a friend come out that said that no, this wasn't like a girlfriend or something. This was a stalker that had been stealing from him and harassing him and all this stuff. And who knows what is going on. All I know is that Nick Diaz found himself in some trouble, unfortunately. We'll have to see how this goes, um, how, this, how this ends up going forward. Uh, you know, Nate Diaz wasn't really involved in this at all, it seems like. But we'll, we'll talk about that going down the, you know, coming here soon. Um, just unfortunate to see that Nick Diaz not back in the UFC cage um, making headlines there, that he's making headlines outside of the cage for the wrong reasons, but we'll have to see what happens there. Give it due process and see how this whole thing turns out uh, with the with the legal side of that whole thing. But nonetheless, really excited to break all this down for y'all today. Um, give me a follow on Twitter at MMA on Twitter. And then also uh, subscribe to the podcast. Let me know what your thoughts are on the ESPN deal. Kamar Usman having his victory against Damian Maya. What you think about Stephen Wonderboy Thompson versus Darren Till. If you would like to see MVP Michael Venom Page versus Paul Daly. And as well as Gegard Mousasi versus... Um, versus Rory McDonald in a super fight in Bellator champion versus champion. And then also, let, let's let's talk about uh, UFC 225 a little bit. What's the most intriguing fight to you other than those top two fights, those uh, championship fights? So, again, that's at Sapata MMA on Twitter. Until then, guys, see you all next time. Bye.